0: Hello and welcome to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta, and we are in studio downtown Salem, Oregon today. And I say welcome, welcome back to returning listeners and thank you for you know continuing to listen listen to our episodes and to these guests that we have and just being a part of our show in that way and also welcome to any new listeners you know wherever you are whether you listen at the gym or on a drive or at home or in your office we hope that each and every one of our episodes have something that you can take away and apply and see improvement in some facet of your life of your leadership your relationships etc we tend to cover multiple different topics in this show. So if you're just tuning in, we call it a leadership podcast, but we end up talking about several different uh, uh, components of of life. And so that has to do with leadership and beyond that. And we're just uh, happy to do it. And we see this as a blessing and a privilege to have the listeners that we have and to be able to do this here in our community and for this to be a part of our leadership institute, which is home to Salem. It's called Groundwork. We started Groundwork a few years ago and the idea was to raise the tide of leadership in our community we have a vision and a goal to be a catalyst for transformational change here and in order to create those conditions for transformational change we see leadership as a huge part of it transformational change at a community level that certainly doesn't happen overnight and i would even argue that it's a it's a rare phenomena it it just it it doesn't happen and when it does you know, any, anywhere throughout our world, it happens because organizations and groups and entities within a community are able to come together, are able to undergo some form of transformation, which when I say transformation, I use it freely as a, a term of change for the better. And so when organizations change for the better, it's a result of their leadership changing for the better. And so in order to accomplish community transformation and create conditions for that, we know that leadership is so important. So. That's what our Leadership Institute is setting out to do. This podcast is just a part of that. And all of this information is not new to any of our returning listeners, but if this is your first time tuning in, hopefully that gives you some context for what we're doing and why we're doing it. Now, let's get into the show, okay? Let's get into the show. Before I get our guest online, he's going to be joining us via Zoom today. I also want to recognize that we're going to have our co-host, Salam Noor, here. We're always grateful for his contributions and our guest today, his name is Craig Sproles, Doctor Craig Sproles. Actually, he is the superintendent for the Bethel School District down in the Eugene area here in Oregon. He used to be the deputy superintendent here uh, in Salem, Kaiser, and I got to know him through that role. And he uh, is part of our Leadership Institute here, um, and now he's you know moved on. And so we want to kind of talk to him about that transition and what he's learned along the way, and you know a few other things with him today that we are just excited to dive into. So with that, I'll get them on the line and we look forward to this episode. And thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org.
0: All right everyone, welcome back. Uh we have our guest with us. They are on Zoom, so they're here virtually, but we're used to this uh having guests on Zoom. And of course Salam is here as well, our co-host. So welcome to both of you for joining. Thank you Chris. Thank Hi, you. Craig. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Hey Salam. See you. Yeah, and and we're friends here. We all know each other. Uh and so it's fun to to be together today. As I mentioned uh, previously, uh uh, our guest his name is Craig uh Dr. Craig Sprouls yeah. right to be correct so i want to make sure to put that in there um and Craig i mentioned before uh we start before you joined what uh what it is that you do right now and i guess how i how i know you you used to be a, a deputy superintendent or assistant superintendent i'm not sure what it you know the exactness there but uh yeah. he, Deputy or or assistant? What's the better term? Uh, it
2: was assistant. Salam was the deputy, and then oh, okay. once Salam, um, they had to make
1: they they couldn't fill that role, so it had to be an assistant. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. that. That that's very kind of you, but uh, <laughs> but you operated as a deputy and and uh, did that role beautifully, and you're missed already. I will tell you that. <laughs> and, oh,
0: thank you. And now you know, as I as I, again I mentioned in the introduction, uh. Craig is superintendent, was hired superintendent in Bethel School District, correct, down in Eugene area, um, which is, you know, uh, phenomenal. And so uh, really happy uh, for you. Congratulations. Just want to say that. Um, Thank and, you. And I'm obviously hoping that uh, you can do some amazing things there with your, your, your leadership. So uh, with that, I, I'd love to turn the time to you now to just add to that introduction. I always love to ask our guests, you know, tell us what you do and who you are, two different questions there. And we'll just get rolling with that before we get into the topic for the day.
2: Well, I'll start with who I am, because I think it's probably more important than what I do, or I, or I hope it is. So, um, and, and just my relationship a little bit with the leadership framework that we'll be talking about today and outward mindset. And as I was thinking a little bit about this podcast, I thought, when was the first time when I came in contact with outward mindset and it was actually um, when I didn't get a job and uh, my, who was my past boss, Christy Perry, the superintendent in Salem, Kaiser. Um, she, uh, I went through a whole interview process um, to, to become the deputy soup actually in Salem, Kaiser didn't get the job. And Christy being Christy drove down to my workplace of where I was working as a principal in Albany and brought a book for me. Um, and she said, you didn't get the job, um, where we, we weren't ready to have you, uh, come into this position, but I have this book I'd like you to read because I think it gives voice to who you are as a person. And a lot of the things that we picked up about you in the interview process and that we heard from your references, um, are captured in this book. So it just gives language to kind of that approach of who you are. Um, so that was my very first, I didn't go through an outward mindset training to start with outward mindset. I I wasn't going through professional development. It was a very personal connection. So of course, for me, that was a really, uh, powerful moment, both because I was super disappointed that I didn't get the job, um, which as a, as an epilogue, I did get the job. It just took me another couple months to, uh, to get there. Um, but I, I did dive into the book and dive into, um, outward mindset and, and what that looks like and how it does, uh, impact people. And I do think for me, um, it helps explain a lot of who I am as a person first and foremost, but then also as a leader. Um, so that kind of gets into the next part of who, what, what do I do? I am the superintendent, uh, in the Bethel school district and Bethel is a school district Located in Eugene. And the city of Eugene is broken up into two separate school districts. Eugene 4J um, is our partner to the east, and um, Bethel is um, on, on the kind of east side of the city of Eugene and extends out into some rural areas. Um, and it was originally a collection of um, separate little school districts, um, which in the 50s came together um, for an incorporated district. So um, Unlike Eugene, our, our our population is very different than Eugene Four J's population. Um, a lot more people living in poverty um, live in Bethel. About seventy-eight percent of our of our students qualify for free reduced lunches. A um, lot more um, diversity, specifically linguistic diversity. Um, about thirty percent of our students are learning English, or they speak in, speak a language other than English at home. So that's who we are. We, we have about 5,800 students, one big high school, Willamette High School and Kalapuya um, High School is an, is an alternative high school and then a, a collection of middle schools and elementary schools in the district. So, and this is my first go at being a superintendent. I've been on the job a little over three weeks. Um, so I have been here long enough to get to know folks and for them to start to get to know me, but I'm definitely still in that storming phase, you know, uh, you come into it trying to figure out who you are trying to, other people are trying to figure out who they are in relation, um, to the new person. Um, and then I'm trying to figure out who my community is as well. So a lot of, uh, a lot of figuring out. So it's a, it's a good time to, to talk to the two of you. It sounds like soil work.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you're doing a lot of soil work.
2: It's completely firmly bedded in soil work, actually. That's every day, um, but it is trying to figure out the resources that are here um that nourish this community, which is and uh, uh, and they and they are rich resources, long um histories that people have with the Bethel community,
0: yeah, that's great. well we I'm sure we'll certainly come back, you know, uh, on multiple occasions to to this idea of soil work, but you know for for listeners we've probably had quite I f- i don't know how many but quite a few of our guests a high percentage of them have been education related mm-hmm. yeah. and that's just due to the nature of our work at Mountain West we partner a lot with you know the the schools um and and the leadership therein you know in those schools so uh it, it's been natural that we have multiple um guests um uh, from the education sector but i would love to, i just want to ask you one last question that as it pertains to the intro you know, and then we'll dive into some other things, but I'm just curious, what is, uh, in your perspective, why is um, your work, not yours specifically, I don't mean that in kind of a self-serving way, but why is your work in education um, so important, do you think, to communities?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think during the pandemic, it really laid bare a lot of the reasons why I think education is important for communities because I don't think the social institutions that have held communities together in the past aren't there anymore. So we, we had faith communities, for instance, that people moved into geographic neighborhoods based on their faith um, and maybe went to a local church and that was the glue that held that community together. Or we had civic organizations that held communities together um, in um, in ways around service and giving back um, we even had we even had um, communities like in, you know the retired veterans groups or groups like that, which all all of those centers in communities have been diminished over over the last long time, probably thirty or forty years. Um, so schools are one of the only Social institutions left where people are forced to interact because as a school leader, I take the charge very seriously that I have the most precious thing that a family can produce, which is their child. And they're turning over the care and nurturing of their child to me and to my teachers and to my administrators um, for six and a half, seven, eight hours a day. That is a huge trusting relationship. And um, they have to give up some control to do that. And so they give up some control and their neighbors send their kids to my school too. Their neighbors who they may not agree with at all. um, Their religious uh, perspective, their political perspective. They may not, they have totally different lives, but they send their kids to sit side by side in my classroom. So I I think there's something really profound about that um, as education being one of the things that knits our society together. Um, And I, and I think the leadership framework is a really nice uh, way that we can do that. But I, so that's why I feel this work is important um, for our communities and a lot, it goes a lot more beyond teaching, reading, writing, and math. I'm passionate about teaching, reading, writing, and math, but um, we serve a much bigger role than that.
0: Thank you for that response, by the way. Um, I, I love that. And to, you know, segue into some of the, perhaps some of our 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 potential topic that we discussed, you know, pre-recording, um, you know, you mentioned soil, you mentioned that what you're doing now is your soil work. Um, I think that what, how you just answered the my previous question, you know, speaks to the importance of soil in a community. And again, the way we define soil is the people. So if we're talking about our community soil, it's the people in it. Um, And if we're talking about our, you know, our, our organization soils, the people in it, well, you know, I'll start with this question. I mean, what are the challenges that arise when we're trying to cultivate our soil? You know, when we're trying to improve it, when we're trying to help our soil be healthy and, and ready for these great seeds that, that can benefit others and, 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 you know, our, our society and our communities what do we do when there's weeds in our soil? I mean, what are the challenges that, that are presented in the cultivation process from your perspective as a leader in your role?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And it's something I think a lot about. And um, I think one of the challenges are not all soil or not all conditions um, that produce people as people. Um, are the same. And I think um, the the pandemic um, has um, brought a lot of that to the forefront, um, but also the um, talk about equity and specifically racial equity in our country has really brought to the forefront the idea that not all of us walk through this world in the exact same experience, um, with the exact same opportunities, Um, with the exact same privileges that we have. And I think how do we create communities that allow people to show up as their authentic selves? Um, From my part of it, how do we create classrooms that recognize that we all don't come from the same level of privilege? Um, How do we acknowledge that? And serve to try to increase opportunities in the community for people um, so they can show up as their full selves. And I think when we when we don't do that, um, when we risk telling people you have to you have to be a certain way in your culture and show up in a different way to be able to be recognized as a person, as a full, you know, as a full individual in this community, when we do that, we create these bifurcated Um, selves. um, and it leads to, uh, um, tons of negative, um, interactions. And that can be true for any, we're seeing a really strong push, um, right now from some people who are offended by critical race theory, um, because they feel like at times, and I just had a meeting with a group of people this morning about this. They feel that that critical race theory, as they were all people who identify as white people, It doesn't create space for them to show up in that dialogue. And they, they, so without creating space for that, they have to leave that part of themselves at home to be able to show up for that. Um, And a, a lot of our Black and Brown families have felt that way for years and years, like they, that there isn't space for them. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about as almost a precursor to seeing people as people and developing deep personal relationships. I do think it's important for us to acknowledge those other structures that um, that impact all of us, not not just people of color, um, but they impact all of us and they and they frame who we are. So. So I think that's something it's it's very complicated. I I know that, but it's uh, it's something I think a lot about.
1: Yeah. Craig, if I if I may just um, just continue this train of thought that we're having and the conversation relative to. Um, you being a school leader, which is really makes you a community leader, quite frankly. And this is what I often tell educators, is that your stature in the community is more than just a school or a district administrator. You're a community leader. Um, and, And the community looks to you to help define and shape and inform social trends. And what you're describing, in my opinion, falls into that category is how do we create the space for all people to show up in their authentic self? How do we engage in conversations that will help all of our kids be successful, regardless of their ethnicity, their skin color, language, gender, etc.? Do you feel that that puts a lot of pressure on you as a community leader, as a school leader? to shepherd that conversation. I mean, I've always felt quite frankly for the longest time that education takes on a huge burden in society. Um, and And how does that actually happen in our schools? I mean, you're talking with parents about critical race theory. So how do we diffuse these conversations and achieve what you're describing and create the space for people to show up in their authentic self? And engage in conversations, comfortable, uncomfortable, uh, et cetera, to ultimately achieve the objectives, achieve your mission as an educator and as a district leader.
2: That's a um, really good question, Salam. And I think it, and this again comes back to the leadership framework. So I think you leading with vulnerability in relationship with people is the key to all societal change as a community leader. So I, I think well, first of all, we have to be very, very careful about assuming that my moral structure is the one that I want to make sure that everybody succumbs to, you know, like being very careful about that and, and, and allowing people to say, well, I don't agree with that. I want to show up this way, you know, and, and creating space for that. But, but I think, and I was reminded of this this morning when I had the conversation, if, if I can have it. And and try hard to see the person who has this idea as a person, fully a fully vested person in this conversation, as much as I am, with with motivations and wants and needs, a lot of which overlap. Um, even if we're in conflict, a lot of which overlap, um, and that's where I just think like the dangerous love uh, notion is. That's the my takeaway from that idea is conflict between two people, if you're willing to turn and face it and face each other, there's a lot of areas where we overlap together. And I think as a community leader, what it means is spending the time to really get to know your community, um, guarding against making assumptions, broad assumptions, like all of these people who believe in this thing are this way, you know, um, Trying to, we, and trying to not put people in those boxes that, that we do a lot of times or that I do, I guess, a lot of times, um, I think is a start, um, and it's, it's a lot of individual conversations. I I really think that's what it comes down to is humbling yourself to hear and to listen, knowing that for me as a person of integrity, if they turn towards me in the conversation, that's great. I can't control that. A lot of times I'm going to still turn towards them and I'm going to still try to create space to really, truly listen and be impacted by their experience. Um, but that may not turn them, you know, and I, and I, and I don't have control over that. So, so I think that's that, that this notion of integrity and, and is an important one in this work. Um, but also humility, knowing, it's not like I have the corner of knowledge of the world, <laughs> like, you know, like there's a lot of different ways that people approach the world. And I want to be really careful about assuming that mine is the um, necessarily the right or wrong way, you know, being humble with that. Um, but I do have to say, even within that, at times, I feel like a leader also needs to be bold about saying I feel deeply given my experience and the people I've talked to and the community I represent, I feel deeply we need to do this thing together and not not being um, not shying away from that either, Um, because I think sometimes if you try to just, you know, balance everything you say over the person you're talking to where people wonder where your core is yeah. um as a person so i think that's part of it as well
1: yeah it's great thank you
0: yeah and you know speaking of soil just you know from a theoretical standpoint of what we you know teach within the institute and and you're familiar with this and and it's always easy it's always a lot easier said than done and we i think i remember a conversation with you at i think at our retreat where we talked about you know that idea of well this all makes sense but how do we always deploy it and especially in in environments or situations where um you know things are really sensitive or there's a high potential for conflict or there's already high conflict uh but you know what you're what you're saying i'm hearing a lot of the cultivation process right which is you know it's one thing to understand what the soil is and to understand that the people which are the soil but then how do we cultivate? And it starts with what we talk about, you know, accountability and being willing to change ourselves. And I heard you say that a lot in different ways of, am I willing to be humble? Am I willing to admit that I might be wrong? Am I willing to, you know, whatever the case might be? And I think that's crucial is, and that's to us in in the Institute is accountability is being willing to change first and being accountable to our, you know, our impact on others and what we do and what we, and how we see them. And that, that's a crucial piece that I think you've been speaking to. And you've also been speaking to this idea of seeing, seeing people, obviously that's our next step in fertilizing, um, and being willing to, to see others as not more or less than we are, but that we matter the same. Um, and that I think is where some of this dialogue around inequity becomes a challenge is because it, it starts to become about who has more, who has less, who's better, who's worse, and how do we start to compensate for that? Um, and and that's where it starts to become a challenge, um, you know, because uh, it's almost like we, well, in order to raise one group up, it means the other group's going to have to miss out, right? Or in order to hear a voice of one one individual or one group of people, we need to stop hearing the voice of the other. And that, to me, is where we get lost in the our ability to see people as people because we start placing a priority on, on who is more important, um, when in reality we're all people, right? And we all matter the same. And some of us have been dealt worse cards than others, um, but it doesn't make anyone else's existence as a human being more or less important. And that's, I think, where it becomes really challenging. And then obviously the deepest level of our soil of deeply seeing, I think also relates. But as you were you were talking, I thought about, you know, Salam brought up a really interesting point, you know, um, the pressures that that you have. Because you know, when you—I imagine when you went to school and all of your education you received to become an educator—you know, you 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 learned how to how to how to teach certain subjects, how to you know um, facilitate a classroom, etc. You, you weren't diving into how do you resolve structural and community conflict and racial unrest and things of that nature, right? And, and so it's a little bit unfair that this responsibility is given to educators and to given given to the public sector when there's not necessarily a formal education on how to engage in it. Right. Like, uh, like for me, uh, you know, my education was all in conflict and, and, you know, I have a degree in intercultural studies and peace building and conflict and negotiation. So for me, those sort of conversations are, are normal. And I, I actually am eager to engage in them. And I, um, strangely enjoy those conversations right about, (laughs) about conflict. Um, but for most people, you know, um, there's not there was there's no education on it so there's kind of learning on the job right uh and that can become a challenge and you know from a conflict perspective and this is my last point and then I'll let you respond or Salam respond but you know what's interesting that I'm seeing you know conflict you can categorize into a couple of different types of conflict you got task conflict process conflict in an organization and relational conflict and task and and process conflict are are normal and can even be healthy it's usually conflict around how we should accomplish a goal or what process is going to be best. And there's going to be disagreements there, but they're healthy if they're short-lived because they help us be innovative and help us learn and grow. They become detrimental when they last too long. But relational conflict is usually when people have, you know, butt heads personality-wise or are taking or having personal attacks done to them. And so what a lot of this conversation has done is it's brought to bear, um, or it's created a dynamic of where relational conflict is something that happens in our organizations more than process and task conflict. And relational conflict usually requires transformative approaches. You can't just manage them or resolve them like you can the other types of conflict. You have to really get deep into the soil to transform them, which again is, is hard and it's a challenge and, and it requires a certain set of skills and understanding and, and all of that, we're asking people to just know how to do like, Hey, you should, yeah. uh, you should work on this, <laughs> right? Uh, you yeah. should solve all the, uh, the equity problems. Uh, and, and it's, and it's, a, it's pressure and it's, it's, it's hard. And it's like you said, it's complex and, and complicated. And um, so that's, that's where my brain's at right now as it relates to our framework and some of the things we've been discussing, but I'd love, you know, any response to that from either one of you.
2: Just one thing, Chris, as you were talking, I was this notion of that equity means one person gets something at the expense of someone else or at the expense of a different group. And that's one thing I want to call into question that notion, because if what we're talking about as is a finite resource, then of course I agree, you know, and that's like the tragedy of the commons, you know, the old um, philosophical thing that if there's a group of people using one pasture. If you have too many, too many livestock on it, I can't Mm -hmm. because that's a finite, you know, pasture size. And so if one person dominates that space, it doesn't create, it literally doesn't create space for other people. So that, that notion does work. If what we're talking about are finite resources, like airtime, for instance, you know, like if we have a 10 minute discussion and I talk for nine, (laughs) that, um, that's a finite, uh, set of time. But if we think about our resources, if we think about something like knowledge, or we think about something like empathy, or we think about something like understanding or compassion or inclusion, those notions aren't bounded by resource constraints. So for me to create a space that allows you to show up as an individual doesn't mean that I don't show up as an individual. And so that's one thing I really like about the leadership framework and the notion of the soil and building up the soil. For me to build up the soil isn't doesn't mean that I'm taking the resources from one group and devoting it to another group. That's not that's not an accurate portrayal of what of the way it actually works. And I think people who really feel divisive are are still in the mindset of if someone else has an opportunity to speak or has an opportunity to shine, that means I don't, and that um, I, I think that really accounts for actually a very very small amount of what we do. Um, the larger amounts are creating classrooms, creating schools, or creating communities, which expand the margins of who gets to show up. Benefit. It's every single person in that community. I want my kid in a classroom interacting with really diverse people, really diverse perspectives, really diverse languages, because now I have a son who's 21. He graduates from college in a year and a half. When he's out of that environment, he's going to succeed because he's had that experience. It's, it's a better experience for him. So it doesn't take away from him um, you know, when when that, that's the case. And so I think we need to rethink about reframing mindsets on equity to an additive that yeah. we have many spaces um, that can actually increase our compassion, increase our knowledge, increase our understanding by creating space for other
1: folks. Yeah.
2: So I and I and I it's, it's hard. I understand. It's, it's a hard balance, but I I do think it's possible.
1: Craig, I really appreciate Mm -hmm. the way you describe that because no one would argue with that because Mm -hmm. it's about seeing each other's humanity. It's about celebrating our differences, um, making us better and stronger as human beings and ultimately as a community. Um, What I'm curious about though, and you and I have worked in education long enough to have heard these arguments, especially when we have programs that are aimed at certain... um, you know, groups of students, certain segments of our community, of our student populations in the spirit of equitable educational opportunities and practices. Uh, You know, going back to what you said earlier relative to critical race theory, because part of the perceptions and the assumptions around that is that we're substituting equity for equality. So we're sacrificing equality to have equity. And And I think you're saying we do both. We have equality, right. but we recognize. So, talk a little bit about how you, as a as a school leader, district leader, community leader, will have to navigate yeah. these community conversations relative to perceptions of inequality when you attempt to do equity. Um, yeah, to Chris's point. I think. I mean, I've heard this in this com- in in our community here, oh. where people say. You know, by giving to those kids, you're taken away from my kid. And whether that is an accurate perception or not uh, becomes really irrelevant because that becomes the perception of the community that we're prioritizing certain groups of students over others. And naturally, parents are going to say, what about my kid? So how do you foster and grow that mindset and that culture that reassures everybody that Everybody's needs are being met, but we recognize that some kids need more than others.
2: Yeah. Well, two things one a little easier than the other. <laughs> I guess I'd approach it from take the easy one first. I want to guarantee that every child has uh, a classroom that allows them to thrive, that allows them to flourish. And so they're engaged, they have deep relationships, they find the work that they're doing meaningful they're connected they have a high sense of efficacy you know so they feel like they can do the work successfully and i think we have as a foundational experience we need to provide that for every single student in our in our in our system and that and that's not just an aspirational goal i think that's an attainable goal that we need to have yes. for all of our students now for some students to be able to experience that they need more time and attention and resources in specific areas not all kids need the same exact experience to be able to have that. I think a little bit like a healthcare system, um, a good friend of mine recently broke his leg. Um, he was on a hike and he tripped and broke his leg. And so he, uh, that, that friend might require a little bit more medical attention um, in the last month than I do, because I don't have a broken leg right now. So he's going to require extra attention to be able to have the same level of mobility in three weeks as I do so that doesn't mean that that's a a negative or or a positive it's just it's just a reality so so thinking about it that every student deserves that level of care and connection to have a teacher who knows them by name and sees their strengths and and loves them as a person is is a foundational thing the second part of it and this is the harder part i think in this country we have this notion of self interest which is I need to advocate for my personal child's um, acceleration as far as I can go. And if I'm a good parent, I'm advocating for that for my individual child versus this notion of collective self-interest. And in a a collective self-interest, you're advocating for your child, yes, but you're also advocating for the child sitting next to your child in the desk right next door because he has collective humanity or she has collective humanity as well. So I think it's this notion of collective interest in, um, and accelerating collective interest, not at the expense of self-interest, but, but in addition to. And that is really hard for people to get their heads around. I, I have to admit that, yeah. that notion that I thrive when you thrive um, and if I can thrive and you can thrive and we can do that together, that that collective sense um, is powerful and important. Um, I feel like, and and maybe this is a romanticized version, but I feel like we've lost some of that collectiveness um, in, in the communities that I've lived in. And it, and when it all boils down to individual self-interest, um, I I have a hard, that's a hard one to work on,
1: honestly. Chris, can I just follow up with a quick question? So when I think about the, the environment that we are in today, and I think about this, this really commendable desire and passion that you have, does it help or hinder the effort when things are so politicized, when, when we tend to think these basic, you know, educational interests, let's say of all students and some needing more than others, but now they're being put in a political context and that is playing out in boardrooms and school districts and classrooms, let's say, uh, is that helpful or is that a hindrance to being able to do this in a very authentic and objective and constructive way?
2: Oh, that's a that's a good question, because there's a difference between is it easy or hard or helpful or hindrance?
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Harder. I'll tell you that it's it's much harder because you're navigating not just what kids need to be successful, but you're navigating uh, what communities do. And just a tiny example of that, which I'm dealing with today is um, masks in school very very political thing it's just a facial covering that sits on your face but it represents a lot of of an ideologies on a lot of different you know do you believe in science or not do you follow the federal government do you believe in free you know autonomous decision making do you so all of these things have to do with a with a thin piece of facial covering um, on your face as a school leader i need to decide what am I going to have my kids do or our kids in our school do when they show up on September 8th? Um, are they going to wear masks or not? And are, are, am I going to have my teachers wear masks or not as well? So that's a really good example of a, of a question that has become very, very politicized. Um, and I think in the end, get back to your question of is it helpful or a hindrance, I think the struggle can sometimes produce a better outcome, um, I think, and which is helpful, but hard. <laughs> so um, I think having, uh, we opened up a survey here, like I said, we have about 4,800 students. We opened up a survey about facial coverings um, less than 24 hours ago, and we have 1,400 respondents um, all over the, the map. On whether they think we where we think we should go, because I really wanted to seek out community feedback on this decision. So um, it makes the decision much harder than it would be held in isolation. I do think it can produce a decision that has more community buy-in and more knowledge of what's actually happening in schools, which is a good thing. So I, I think it's a it's a little bit of both. Yeah. But just as a person, just to be hundred percent honest, it's tiring. Um, it, it can be tiring because because everything is so politicized um, that it's it's hard to make decisions because you there's so much that that could blow up on any one decision um, and educational leaders have been replaced at a very high rate um, in Oregon um, this last year. Lots of superintendents lost their jobs over how they're handling COVID or perceptions of how they're handling notions of equity or any number of things. So, um, so it, that does, it, it does get tiring as a person within that.
0: Where does, um, and I know we are, you know, we probably got about 10 or so minutes left, but I don't have a good answer to this. So I'm asking, but where does, you know, fairness fall into things, right? Because, uh, you have equality equity and then where does fairness lay there? Cause you know, growing up, um, I was always taught that life isn't fair, right? Um, and it was living proof in in my life where, you know, my dad was born in a third world country and didn't have a whole lot, right? Where my mom did, and and so that's just how how can he fix that, right? That's where he was born, and life's not fair. And he was the one to teach me that life's not fair, and and you work hard to make the most of it, um, you know. And then and, it, and it, there's there's so many things in life that are a matter of, of fairness, and and that we can't necessarily change and so you know when do we get caught up in something when do we get caught up in something that is a fairness category versus a you know um an equality matter or or an equitable matter right uh you know as a college athlete and title 9 is huge and in, in it impacts sports in a in a big way collegiate sports and and you know i always thought as a as an athlete as a male athlete that it wasn't fair um, that, uh, you know, the women's team had more scholarship than the men's team because of football, right? I didn't play football, but there has to be an equal amount of scholarships for male athletes as female athletes, but football has massive teams and they take all the scholarships across the, the board and, and the NCAA. So, you know, you have a women's uh, soccer team who has double the amount of scholarship than a men's soccer team, right? That's equal, right? If you look at all the athletes, but not fair. Um, and so, you know, that's just a, random example that came to mind. But so my question is when does fairness, you know, when do we, when are we talking about fairness when we really should be talking about, you know, equity or or equality and then vice versa? How does it impact the conversation? How does it become, you know, a hindrance to things, um, the idea of fairness? I hope that question makes sense.
2: No, it completely does. And I think people, um, they they get confused about the difference between equity, equality, and fairness. And I, I think you did a nice job of describing, because I think they are, they are very different things. Um, and part of fairness in my mind is in the eye of the beholder. It's in the it's in the individual person mm-hmm. making judgment on whether that's fair or not, um, given a set of conditions. And typically, like we talked about before, it's about a finite number of resources. So you, you felt that was unfair because they couldn't just expand the number of scholarships, obviously, um, to be a college athlete on a, on a, um, scholarship for soccer. So I think that, um, but I, but I do think this notion of, um, equity that some students need more to be successful than others. Um, and there's, there's lots of different entry points here. So there's, Think about fairness of access. You know, do kids have access to programs? Do families have access to school structures as well as others? And with that, I think about things like language. Um, if you don't speak English and you're in a system that only has English documents, it's pretty darn hard. I lived in Europe for a while um, and uh, in Austria, which was largely an English speaking. You know, they have tons of English speakers, but but not where I lived in a small town, Small and I had a tough time just navigating basic life things, let alone I wasn't in school and I didn't have to register a kid into school and navigate communication with the teacher and all of that. So I so I do think there's there's there are things where we think about access. We think about um, access um, opportunities. The students have opportunities for advancement. So I, I think about for specifically like advanced classes, um, A lot of the ways we've identified students for services like talented and gifted, which at the elementary and the middle school are ways where kids might get accelerated classes. A lot of those are language based ways that we've identified them. And so some kids get access to those based on being a strong English speaker versus another student who might be uh, bilingual, which is an amazing asset to have an amazing experience to have, but we didn't recognize that as an asset. And so they may not get access to those same classes Um, or, you know, uh, accelerated placement classes in the high school is another example of that. So I think it's a little bit for me, this notion of fairness is trying as much as I can to create multiple avenues for access, multiple avenues for opportunities, and then ultimately looking at our outcomes. And unfortunately, If you backward map the outcomes in the education system um, in the United States and in every district I've worked in, things like uh, zip code predict high school graduation rates. Strong prediction between where you live and your graduation rate. Things like your skin color still predict graduation rates. Um, If you enter high schools um, still um, trying to learn English, um, predicts your graduation rates. So, so having qualifying things like that. So like you said, a kid, whether it's a fair shake or an accelerated shake or whatever, but a a kid doesn't get to choose. I'm going to be born in this home, in this neighborhood to this set of parents who, you know, have these parenting skills and carry this, this, this set of assets and, and things that they're overcoming as a family. Kids don't pick that. Um, But the way that our system is currently structured, that does impact um, outcomes um, uh, for for populations of students. So um, so I think those things are all intertwined, Chris, honestly, like notions of fairness, notions of equity, notions of equality. um, And within each of that, knowing that there are individuals living their lives to the best that they can, you know, navigating Mm -hmm. all of those structures and that just to bring it back a little bit to our framework and to the outward mindset. That's what I feel like um, there's a tendency once we start talking about these large sociological structures to lose sight of the individual within those structures. Uh, And and it's just what we tend to do. And I think that's what the framework all the time for me jerks me back to is the notion of the soil, people as, you know, people as people creating conditions for people as people to be able to do that it doesn't mean that those structures don't exist. Um, and it doesn't mean that they impact all of us. They impact us as we walk through life. Um, but it does mean that, it, that I think it, it, it encourages us to try to push, try to get down to the bottom of who that person is and see them as a person separate from the structures. Um, but then also work to make structures more equitable, like, you know, like, like work, uh, work our tails off on, on several levels, um, as people of influence of power and communities, like Salam was saying, I do think we have a charge to do that. Um, and I, and I feel really lucky to have the position that I'm in. I've worked, I've worked hard as an individual to be here, to get to this point, um, because I believe in this role to be able to enact change, um, for people and, um, and advocate for people, um,
0: so that's why it's important to me. No, I, I uh, lo- love the response. Um, and although we just have a couple minutes left, um, you know, something I had uh, that I just want to, that I think relates to the framework, I actually just did a, was writing something for our f- curriculum today on the very topic. And if you remember this in our, um, you know, handbook where we, we don't get to spend a lot of time on it, but we do address the idea in the see people section of our soil of seeing people and systems, right. and how. Um, that idea of seeing people impacts systems because systems are created by people, structures are created by people, and if I'm seeing others as objects as less or more than I am, then the result of what I create a process, a system, a procedure, whatever it is, is going to reflect that um that way of being of seeing others as an it of seeing others as a um as less than I am, right. And so when we're talking about the system and systematic challenges, and oftentimes we dehumanize those things and objectify, you know, we dehumanize the system almost. Um, Well, that's other people, right? People create those things and we create those things. And so some of the challenge that I see um, from a conflict perspective is when we dehumanize the system and see it as the problem, we're actually dehumanizing other people and seeing people as the problem. And therefore we're adding to a downward spiral, conflict, a collusion, whatever we want to call it, um, because we're we're not seeing um uh the people that have created the system as people. And they might have created a system or a structure that is is not seeing others as people, right? And but that doesn't warrant um our uh, approval to to see them as objects, right? Um that's I think where it gets tricky. What I was, you know, mentioning earlier is 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 one person's humanity m- worth more than another? And obviously, the answer to that is no. We're, we're we all matter the same. But I think that we can use the terminology of of systems and structures um, as a justification to to blame someone someone who created it or a group of people who created it. Um, and that's where it gets, um, I think, a, a little a little tricky. You know, in in those dynamics where it becomes complicated and, and and challenging to discuss. But I, I think, I think that the way that you've laid things out today has been really um, insightful. It's been helpful. I hope that we have people that listen to this and it helps them, you know, conceptualize a lot of these um, realities uh, that we're facing um, in a better and, and healthier way. I, it certainly has for me and I, and I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate the thoughts that you've contributed from both of you, uh, Craig and, and Salam. Um, unfortunately, we have to come to an end here. And uh, it's a bummer because I think we keep talking about this for an hour or two more. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in closing, you know, what would be your what would be your ask? I typically give an ask to any listeners and a challenge, but uh, let's have you do that today. I mean, what would be your ask or your challenge to anybody that's listening?
2: I guess it would be um, a couple things. One of them sounds kind of corny, um, but I believe it. But um, the kind of corny one is, um, we're in a time right now in the United States where change is happening all around us. and and it's it, sometimes it's happening. It feels like it's happening to us. and and sometimes uh, it sometimes it feels like we're part of it. So I would encourage people to recognize we are at a very historic time. We're coming out of a pandemic. Um, we've come out of a year and a half of racial reckoning across our system and across our schools. Um, across our society, um, we are starting to knit ourselves back. So, I would encourage people to think about who they are as an actor within this. I, mm. I think this is going to be a time when our grandkids are going to say, "What did you do <laughs> during this time?" Um, I, I look back in the 1960s, and I would ask my parents that, like, "What were you doing in '66? What were you doing in '67 with the Vietnam War? Where were you at as people within these?" these large societal movements, which were mm-hmm. poignant times. Um, we, we are in that time right now. And I think that we have a unique ability to shape it as people, um, and to contribute as people. So that's the kind of corny one. I would, I would encourage people to realize where we are in time and space right now, yeah. um, and make the most of it. I like that. Um, and then the second thing is, and this one is, um, All of these big societal structures we're talking about—racism, sexism, creating more space for people who identify as LGBTQ plus—all of those things are these gigantic issues. Um, And I really like the idea of just being people of integrity um, and trying hard to do our best within that. That's how change. That That's how we address these things. Um, It's It's not necessarily the big, wide sweeping things. And you mentioned this as well, Chris. It's it's nurturing those relationships and showing up with integrity every time. That's what I have control over. Um, and that's what I'd encourage the listeners to think about. They have control over that part um as well. Um, as we enact change in this world right now.
0: I love that. Thanks, Craig. Those are two great I don't think the first one's corny either. I think that's great. I think it's um one that merits some time, you know, warrants some time for people to really sit and, and think about. So appreciate both of those challenges slash asks. Um, But in conclusion, Salam, you have anything you want to, you want to end with any thoughts?
1: Well, the, the only thing I would add is, is how much I actually miss Craig and having these conversations with him. (laughs) Um, He's a, he's been a tremendous leader in our community and I'm just thrilled for him and the Bethel community. Um, I love your focus on integrity because in my opinion, That's what allows us to do real soil work in terms of how we see each other, how we regard each other, the honesty that we bring to the conversation and the spaces that you're trying to create for people. And I just have always admired your intellectual capacity. And the more I get to know you, I'm also incredibly impressed with your human capacity and humanistic approach to things. And I think... Uh, Bethel uh, are really fortunate to have you there leading, not just in their school district, but in their community as well. So I think this has been a great conversation. I wish we had another hour, but perhaps there is a episode two. Perhaps. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it could be. And I, just a quick shout out Salam, you and I have talked about these similar things many, many times for the last three years. Um, And I, and I have appreciated your mentorship and your thought partnership um, throughout this, i um, yeah it's it's made a profound change on who I am as a person um and hopefully as a leader um, in this position. so um and and the framework as well. I would encourage the two of you to continue the good work um with the framework. It makes a difference um in our communities um, as as we start implementing it. So thank you for this opportunity and and for your leadership.
0: yeah, thank you thank Craig. Greg. Um, been great having you. Uh, you have a really well, just balanced personality and presence, and I appreciate that about you. Um, so you, you you're missed. You're missed in our monthly sessions um, at Groundwork. I always loved your insight and your thoughts. But uh, you know, you 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 moved on, and, and we're happy for you, and and so we wish you the best um, where you're at, and we hope that we can continue a, a collaboration as as we you know as the years go on. So. Um, with that, thanks. Thank, thank you, uh, Craig. Thank, thank you, Salam. Thanks thank for any you. listeners tuning in. Um, and take care and be safe.